we'd like to welcome you back to part two of our current event and Bible study for March 20th, 2017. We're going to go ahead and continue with this interview uh, entitled Diseased Refugees Obtaining Social Security Numbers and Passport Upon Arrival. And she just covers so many things in this interview that I wasn't even aware of and other agendas of the UN. And this is why I'm playing so much of the interview because there's just so many important topics that are covered here. So let's go ahead and continue. But it, okay, so let's just say all the states are saying we want to pull out of this refugee resettlement program mm -hmm. from the federal government. Then they're fine, right? There's no other way the refugees are getting in. Well, no. Uh, you can the state can assert that they no longer want to receive refugees, and then the federal government. Okay, so the state can assert we don't want to receive refugees. Texas and the other state that they had said are doing that. Uh, but then now there's there's a way around that too. There's a loophole there that she's going to get into right now. Government says all right, and so then they start implementing a program called the Wilson Fish Program, and Wilson Fish simply bypasses the sovereignty of that state. In other words, the state no longer processes the refugees. That means, in plain English, you no longer get to know how many are coming in, when they're coming in, where they're going, how much money's being spent on them, whether they're diseased or not diseased. You've lost all control over the entire situation, and as, as a sovereign state, you've relinquished that. And so Wilson Fish comes in then, and all of the federal monies that, that are set aside for this program bypass the state and go to third-party uh, entities. And that would be something like uh, Catholic Charities or uh, uh, Jewish Vocational Services. So it would bypass the state entirely, and they would take over the, the entire process of uh, processing the refugees. That's crazy. It is crazy. And as a U.S. citizen and as a citizen of the sovereign state of Missouri, I am not in favor of that. I think we need to maintain our sovereignty just like we would in, uh, in the United States. You know, honestly, we are first a citizen of the state of Missouri because right. we are a sovereign state. And then we're a citizen of the United States of America. But our first sovereignty and citizenship is to our state. And a lot of people don't realize that. So in order for us to maintain uh, the, the health and welfare and the security of our borders, we must know who's coming and going. Yeah, you have to. Right. You have to. And FUNU doesn't work for me. FUNU doesn't work for me either. And giving them a social security number and a passport. Meaning the name FUNU, which, which they're all just using out of, I have no idea. Um, they're just giving that as their name. <laughs> I mean, no name, no paperwork, no vetting, no nothing. I mean, you could be dealing with, you know, a, just a train, train load of Charles Manson's Muslim versions and uh, let them all in, you know. Come one, come all. Or it actually makes this problem worse, not it, better. Correct. Have, have we been placed at risk? I mean, you, you mentioned that this is an invasion. Mm -hmm. Are we at risk? I believe we are at risk, uh, Josh, because when they come in, we're urged to compatriate them with fellow uh, refugees, those who have come in before them. We're, we're urged to locate other communities of refugees from the same country of origin, the same language, the same culture as those who are arriving. So the terrorist culture, wherever terrorist culture in whatever uh, country that they come from, and that way they can obviously, they'll speak the same language, they'll probably be more on a less competitive, more of a even keel level footing 
maybe they won't view them so much like maybe somebody from another country that maybe they would have a rivalry with. Um, so they want to get them all, in other words, they want to get all of these Muslims on the same page with their, with their same uh, countrymen as quickly as possible in order for that these same Muslims, that they'll show them the ropes and show them how to work the system and um, be just evil and wicked, which is what they do best. And so uh, when they come in, um, you know, and we have had Syrians come in, and we know Syrians are on the list of those seven countries yeah. that have been banned. And so we've received Syrians here in Missouri. Even after the ban? Yes. What? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, but the ban never, I mean, the ban was only in effect for a very, very short period of time. And then the, the Ninth District Court, the one that's like the most notorious for being corrupt and evil, they blocked it. And then Obama, or, or Trump tried to get it up again, and then again, got blocked again because Obama met with a Harvard-appointed, his Harvard-appointed judge he graduated with 48 hours before he struck it down. So again, this is something that is very, very, very near and dear to Satan's heart that this happened, that these, that these Muslims get in here unvetted, diseased up as much as possible, and therefore they can do the most damage, especially when their green light is given. And so uh, these Syrians are coming in, and we know that they are coming from a country of origin that has malevolent intent toward us as a nation. And we now know they're not being vetted. And we now know that, that not only are they coming from a malevolent country or a country that has malevolent intent, and we now know they're not vetted, uh, we're giving them support and we're giving them a passport. What name do they put on the passport if their name on the thing is Fumi? I don't know. I Can don't they know. just pick a name? Uh, well, we were the state of Missouri was actually uh, dinged, if you will. That's probably a poor use of that word. Uh, we were we were penalized because we had too many applications with FUNU on them. So, in other words, we had a very large number of refugees floating around out here, whose identity we had not uh, ascertained, and how how they're filling out a passport application escapes me. I don't know. If we don't know their name, how are they getting Social Security benefits? Right. How are they getting uh, <laughs> this is so uh, insane. passport? I don't know. I mean, why, why can't they pick up like a, a real good substantial name like Belvedere Jehoshaphat or maybe Aloysius Spoonchuckle? Boutros Boutros Huffnagel. I don't know. Some wacky name. They can't even, they can't even pull that off. They've got to use the same weird Farsi name that they're concocting and they're getting i mean it's it's so unbelievable that we're actually even having to report on this do any of these people plan on leaving did you hear any talk about yeah they're here for a little while and they're going back home no in fact we we were encouraged strongly to try to find not only find employment for them which i questioned uh, a couple of times in the meetings the employment piece because if they can't speak english and uh and they're sick and they don't have transportation, how do we reasonably expect them to be employed? Right. And so let's say they do speak some English. Let's say they speak maybe broken English. Uh, and let's say they're not sick. They're, you know, moderately healthy. So we get them a job. Uh, I learned in the meetings that uh, oftentimes they won't hold a job. Because on the, on the uh, other side of the process, they're told that they're coming to the U.S., 
for free food, free housing, free medical, free clothing, free everything. And so when they get here and somebody mentions the word job, well, they're not real excited about that. <laughs> no. So these deadbeat devils, bent on our destruction, bent on our eradication, they don't want a job. Are you kidding me? We, you infidels, are going to support us, and you're going to like it. You're going to support us lock, stock, and barrel. We're getting everything for free. Medical, housing, money, and we're not going to have no job. Are you? We're not going to be some contributing member of society. We're here to kill you. What are you thinking? Plus, if you earn too much, you, get, you can't have your disability. Well... I don't know if that applies in this situation, honestly. It is crazy. It is crazy. No, I'm sure if they had a job, all their other benefits would still all be there. It would just be, you know, counterproductive to their mindset and their way of thinking. How, how are they going to really get a job? They don't even speak the language. They're, they're I mean, they probably, the, the average skill set is probably not going to be super compatible with what America would need as far as skill sets go. I mean, you know, I'm just being honest here. I don't know. Okay, so let's say they come in under the cover of midnight into Kansas City, St. Louis, wherever around the country they're coming. Right. Do we at least keep track of these people? Well, we're supposed to. Okay. We're suppo they're supposed to be monitored. But oftentimes <laughs> when they get here and they're, they're dropped off by the uh, volunteers, whoever's picking them up from the airport and taking them to their place of residence. Volunteers. When those same organizations are getting 2500 bucks a pop to bring them in, and, and I, it's probably per person, you know, in some way, shape, or form. I mean, I just, 2500 I mean, if what if only three came in? You're going to pay them 2500 it is, as opposed to what if 50 came in? So to me, I would think it would be per person in some way, shape, or form. There's got to be some huge financial incentive. See, once they're there... Some have left that and moved on, or they've just vanished. We don't know where they <laughs> That's are. That's nice. Uh, we have no idea. We don't know if they've even crossed state lines or not. We did hear that some of them crossed over. Well, I mean, when you come in with no paperwork, no real name, no vetting, no nothing, how easy would it be as long as you get introduced to your countrymen, to whatever terrorist cell you're going to be amalgamated and assimilated into, how easy it for, would, would it be for them to disappear? Totally off the radar, totally off the books, and our government loves it. They love it, sure. To Illinois, uh, and they're supposed to, <laughs> they're supposed to check in with the agency that processed them, but oh, you and I both know that's not it. Sure, no. And and the reality is, there's nothing that keeps them from crossing over either. Right. It's not like we have fences between Missouri and Illinois. You make it across, you're in Illinois. Right, and. And keep in mind, uh, someone asked me this recently. Well, how are they if they're if they're not staying in the home or the or the residence where they were placed? How are they receiving their funds? How are they receiving their benefits? Well, uh, they get a just just like anybody here in America uh, that's on say food stamps. You get an electronic banking card, and that's how you get your food at the grocery store. And so your cash again is on a on a card. And so when you and your Medicaid card, so once they've obtained these these items, they can live pretty much anywhere they want to live. And there's yeah, they, they, it's it's just the perfect system for breeding terrorists, for for uh, nurturing them, for 
taking care of them for, for, for making sure they've got great medical, great housing, they're well fed, and they can go wherever they want, and there's no rules that apply to them, really. I mean, if they went out and they started beheading people, obviously the local law enforcement would whatever, but I mean, that's their, that green light hasn't been given yet. Now, granted, yeah, you'll see some terrorist attacks. Obviously, we've seen an escalation of that. Uh, but in mass, it hasn't happened yet. And that's what I'm talking about, that trigger event where they are these terrorist cells, which have literally been here for decades, are given the green light um, to commit jihad, holy war against the infidels. A way really to track down where they're coming from. And I would assume that once it's under the, the uh, Wilson Fish program, that's even harder to keep track of. Well, I would imagine it would be because Wilson Fish... Um, like right now, <clears throat> under Missouri state law, if you and I wanted to uh, freedom of information request documents on these people, and I have, uh, then by law they have to send us those documents. Sometimes they'll assign a, a dollar amount for copy fees sure. or you know looking for them or what have you, but you can obtain those documents. If this program, the Wilson Fish program, were to come in and override the sovereignty of our state and this fall into third-party hands, we've lost all ability to, to know any information. So how prevalent is the Wilson Fish thing? Because a lot of people are thinking, well, if I can get just get my governor and my legislature to say, we don't want the refugees, we'll be like Tennessee and Texas, and yeah, the feds will sue us, but stand behind my governor. Mm -hmm. But the sue Wilson us. Fish thing circumvents that whole process. Sue, sue us for not taking in these terrorists, these unvetted terrorists. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the upside-down world that we're talking about here. Right. How prevalent is Wilson Fish? We only have a few states right now. And yes, this is the same Wilson Fish of the Wilson Fish Sticks fame. If you were wondering, I know there's a lot of you out there that were saying, is that the same Wilson, Wilson Fish, Fish Sticks guy? Yeah, just like the Gordon's Fisherman, this is the Wilson Fish Sticks guy, okay? And anyway, I just want to, sorry, little, little humor there, little, little fish humor that have implemented Wilson Fish. Okay. Yeah, I think by and large, most of the states are, are similar to ours in that they want to maintain and retain sovereignty over the process. So, uh, but, you know, honestly, uh, there are people out there who are fighting for us to become a Wilson Fish state. That's insane. That's but as long as they're not fighting for us to become a Wilson Fish stick... It's a big difference between a Wilson Fish State and a Wilson Fish Stick. So I just wanted to clarify, again, a little, little lighthearted humor. Insane. So the people come off the airplane. <laughs> Taylor's shaking her head. Looking for a new place to get free stuff, new name, new identity, and I'm sure they're all peaceful and, and friendly, oh. unlike the ones that we're seeing in, in Europe. Have there been any cases where <laughs> right. even the people who are driving them to their destination have felt a little uneasy about what's happening? Sure. Uh, one of the directors in one of the meetings that I attended uh, said he, he wasn't going to go pick them up from the airport anymore. He'd made several pickups, and he told a story in one of the meetings that he had picked up a, a van full of Syrians, and, and all males, and yeah, he had a couple-hour drive. Innocent as the day is long. I mean, pure as the driven snow. Innocent as little kittens. Little Himalayan kittens, like a litter of Himalayan kittens. They, I mean, these these are these are salt of the earth. These are the best of the best. These are just good people, you know. So let's hear about them. Ahead of him to get it, to get them to the city where they were going to be relocating. 
Well, they started uh, yelling at him on the on the van in the van. They started threatening him, and uh, he nice. felt like his life was in danger. So he pulled the van over. Wow. He was he was not going to finish transporting them, but he couldn't get anybody to wake up at two o'clock in the morning to sure. come and get them. You know, because it's two o'clock in the morning in the middle of winter. You know, so he ended up finishing the the drive and getting them placed, but. Uh, you know, it's, it's... Can you imagine being in a van in the middle of the night, having these Muslim terrorists behind you screaming and yelling at you? I mean, you're just waiting for the machete to come out and have the old, your head lopped off from behind. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, I, I can't even imagine. And, like, why isn't there, like, a mass outcry of, like, whistleblowers that are, I guess, I guess they're, I don't know, they've drank the Kool-Aid or something, or maybe they're being paid off. I have no idea. Maybe they just feel like they're, oh, if I say anything about this, it won't be politically correct because it'll be Islamophobic. I don't know. But, I mean, this is absolutely insane. Because you know if it happened to this guy, this is happening all the time. These people have an inherent hatred of Americans. America to them is known as the great Satan. Israel is known as the little Satan. That's how we are viewed as the most hated infidels on the planet. So a lot of times... They're not going to be able to, to hold back. They're not going to be able to contain their hatred. And this is just an example of that. The guy is very fortunate he got out of there with his life. Scared him enough to swear off ever doing it again. He wasn't going to pick up any. I don't know why. Now, the progressive media doesn't understand that Islam and Muslim is not a race. They think if you're anti-Islam, you're, you're a racist or something. Mm -hmm. But just from an Islamic perspective, are we seeing that mosques in some of these bigger cities, St. Louis, Kansas City, are they working with these organizations to bring these people in or house them or feed them or at least pick up part of the bill? Uh, not to my knowledge. I haven't seen any involvement from uh, any of these Islamic organizations. Such as no, because that's, that's the infidel's responsibility. We're, we're, we're the ones that need to pay to bring these savages in, these diseased savages in, the ones that have just been killing the Christians over the Middle East and, and maybe not have enough bloodlust satisfied and are told, hey, you're going to get a free, free meal ticket over here and be able to rape all the, all the women you want and procreate and kill all the infidels you want when the time is right. And then that's the carrot that's dangled on in front of them to come over here. You know, so this is this is their I think their their motivating factor, and then also possibly you know dying for Allah and the service killing infidels and that whole rigmarole. Care, sure. I haven't seen any involvement from any of them at all. Wow. But no, they're, they, these these Muslim organizations that are here, they're not going to lift a finger to do it. They're not going to put a dime into this. They're that's no no that's the infidels deal. He's the one that brings them in. He's the one that brings their very the very people that are going to one day kill him and destroy him that's our i mean it's almost like this really sick cruel satanic joke where they're they're just probably you know laughing their heads off in the background saying look at these stupid tax-paying americans they're literally funding their own destruction they're literally bringing in the very people that will be their executors you know i mean now again i'm not saying god's not big enough to intervene i'm not saying this has taken god by surprise but I think a lot of this has to do with the lukewarm 501c3 churches and the fact that they're totally asleep and that they're totally yoked up with the United Nations and the government and FEMA and Homeland Security and the clergy response teams. This is all just further evidence of that, that the 501c3 church is the biggest enemy of the Christian in America.
and whatever its equivalent is in other parts of the world. When you look at Europe, mm -hmm. when you see how Sweden tried to deny that they were having mm -hmm. violent problems, <laughs> and then every day since the denial, right. it's getting worse. Grenades, right. rapes, it's insane. Right. When you look at what's happening to Europe, mm -hmm. and you hear people here in America say, well, that's not going to happen here, mm -hmm. we're different, what, what do you think when, they, when you hear that? I think, I think people are believing mainstream media, and I would caution viewers that are watching this right now to be very careful. Uh, mainstream media... They also, they haven't got to the numbers that they've got in Europe. A lot of it is from a geographical standpoint. They were actually able to march them from Syria and get them into those countries via just on foot. Whereas if you bring them here, you got to either bring them by boat or by plane. Which, from a logistical standpoint, in order to get the kind of numbers that are necessary, in order to launch a proper jihad, Muslim-Islamic holy war, it's, it's just logistically a lot harder. You've got oceans separating, whereas in Europe you don't have that. You know, so it's a long way, but if you can march them on foot long enough, like they did, they marched them into Germany and they marched them into you know, Europe, it's easier for them to get there, and that's why they're at a much greater number. And, and I've broken down the statistics before where you'll see certain behavior out of Muslims when the population reaches 2%. And then when it reaches 4 you'll see more aggressive behavior. When it reaches, it's, it's, it's all very well-timed uh, regarding they keep track of their numbers, and they know what they can get away with when the population is at enough it high enough, they can get away with a lot more. They have not reached those numbers necessary yet. But we've also got other things going on here that I don't think other countries have, where we've got all the illegal aliens coming in from Mexico and Central America. That's a whole other gigantic problem. We've got Russian troops literally on our soil. We've got Chinese troops literally on our soil. We've got Black Lives Matter. We have got the Snowflake Millennial Movement. We've got a lot of other things going on in America that some other countries don't have. So that adds to the, the overall fifth column um, invasion destructive force that will come against, I don't know what you want to call it, the Christian slash Patriot slash pro-Second Amendment movement. And so that's what the New World Order right now is trying to ascertain. Okay, do we have enough number? Do we have enough boots on ground? Do we have enough technology? Do we have enough wickedness here You've got, the, you've got the Satanists. You've got the, the Satanic super soldiers that will be activated. I haven't even talked about that. Then from a witchcraft standpoint, mass witchcraft. So they're trying, to, they're trying to size up the situation, especially with Trump in office, because they're in full desperation mode because of the whole pedophile rings that keep going down and the whole threatening by Jeff Sessions. And this is why they went after him so bad. They're incredibly motivated, probably more motivated to get kick this thing off than they have ever been since the inception of America. Okay, they're, they're more motivated now than ever because they feel like they could be running out of time and they feel like they may be losing the, um, the media war, the, the, the brainwashing. A lot of people are coming out of the trance and, and things of this nature. Uh, so this is what I believe from a satanic standpoint they're sizing up. The media is lying to us. They're not telling us the truth. 
uh, I've got a couple of cases that I can cite as examples. Sure. Uh, I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee last summer, and mm. I was down there for some meetings. And the day after I left, the uh, shooting took place in Chattanooga. And you may recall that they, the uh, shooter was, uh, was Islamic, he was a yeah. Muslim, and he shot the recruiting offices there mm -hmm. uh, in a strip mall happened to be right next door to the restaurant that I had had dinner at the night before. Whoa. So uh, I, I think that's, that's an example of the, of the malevolent intent of these uh, Muslims. Another example I would give you is uh, a friend of mine, has, uh, they live in Texas. Their 20-year-old son was coming home from college. He was stopped at a traffic light just a few short blocks from home, coming home for the weekend, very close to home. And uh, a car of uh, refugees pulls up next to him at the stoplight and shoots him and kills him. Whoa. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, in my opinion... And again, these, these are things, if there's any Muslim, if there's any illegal alien uh, aspect to these stories, they are going to be swept under the rug as quickly as possible, if it's possible, and hope and in their estimation, maybe only make like the local news or maybe regional news for that area. And then that's that's it. They're on to the next thing. Other headlines are gonna trump this and, and we're not even gonna report on this because it's not it doesn't fit the narrative. This is a very serious and dangerous situation. Sure. Uh, because they've not been vetted and we don't understand uh, what what they're, we don't know what they're planning or what their intent is, but we know enough to know. We've got enough examples here in the United States to know that this is really a serious problem. You know, the young lady that was shot walking with her father on the wharf in San Francisco yep. just a couple of years ago. Uh, I mean, we've got, we've got quite a few examples of uh, refugees who came in and... Uh, Illegally and, and through this process. I, I hesitate to call this process legal because, uh, to me, it's circumventing so many uh, laws. There's nothing legal about any of this. I mean, you could not, again, as an American or as if you're from Europe or, or even wherever, you're not going to be able to go to, like, any other country and do what is being done here and in Europe. You just won't be able to do it. And and But it's... We're supposed to overlook that and act like, you know, if we don't if we don't overlook it, we have no compassion. You were saying that the governors, the legislators, they don't know what's going on. They're they're being kept from this. Mm -hmm. These refugees are coming in at midnight. Mm -hmm. Who does know? Does President Trump know this is happening and he's allowing this? Or are they keeping it from him too? No, President Trump is very aware. Okay. And I'm very grateful for that. He he And this is why when he got in office, the first thing he tried one of the first things he, he did is he imposed the travel ban of the six Muslim countries that Obama had at one time even enacted. And, the, you know, but when Obama did it, nobody said anything. I mean, none of the liberals. But when Trump did it, everybody went nuts in the, in the liberal media. And, and in the liberal left and in Hollywood and all the social justice warriors came out of the woodwork saying that, you know, Trump's this bigoted racist that's trying to keep, you know, America was built on you know, immigrants and all this other stuff. And again, these people are not being vetted. They're coming from the worst terrorist countries. They're full of diseases a lot of the times. They hate us. They want to kill us. But that's okay. That's all good. It's, it's no big deal.
knows exactly. If you'll recall during the campaign season, he actually mentioned this during his campaign, which gave me, uh, it gave me confidence in him that he must know something. And, and I believe he does know. So by, simply by virtue of the fact that he has slowed down the uh, influx coming in. You know, he, he really kind of slammed on the brakes in February. Put the, uh, on January 27th, he put the 120-day travel ban mm -hmm. in place. That, all, all those things tell me that he's aware of the danger. And so I, I believe, and he also came out publicly recently and said that he's going to implement extreme vetting. Now, so he, he's got that. We, like I had just reported on, the border crossings of illegal aliens are down 40%. Because, you know, this word gets back to Mexico and Central America. Trump's, Trump's going to, I mean, there's a lot of ICE arrests right now. People are being deported at, I'm sure, a record rate compared to anything Obama ever did. Obama was encouraging it all. And you're going to think twice now before trying to come here illegally. Because you might be right back on a bus or a plane out of here. You know, um, but the New World Order is trying to counter everything he's doing through like what she's talking about and through every step of the way trying to block everything that Trump is doing and demonizing him for doing it, as we're seeing every day in the headlines. So um, let's let's go further here. What do you think the end game is? Why why do you think this is happening? Well, uh I would, I would tie it back to um, uh, the U.N. protocol for Agenda 2030. Okay. And Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton, when he was president in 1990... Now, I gave you the end game as far as what the Islamic end game is. Islamic end game is world domination. Worldwide Islamic caliphate. Worldwide Sharia law. Worldwide subjection and eradication of the infidels. Ultimately where the infidels wouldn't even be permitted to live. You either convert or die. And we will use, as they have said, we will use your wives' wombs as our, as our greatest weapon in order to breed a whole new generation of Muslim warriors. Meaning they're going to take your wife, they're going to kill you, they're going to take your wife and your daughters, they're going to rape them, they're going to basically either sell them into sex slavery or bring them into their harem. And they're going to be the incubators the baby incubators, essentially, that's how they're looking at it, for their jihad army. That's what they've said. That's what they've proven that they will do when they get enough numbers. In third world countries, you just look at what's going on in these, in these Muslim-dominated countries, especially where any kind of Christians are present. Look at what they've done to the Yazidis. I mean, I've reported on this over and over. So she's going to talk more about from a UN perspective what is the goal? To, he committed the United States to what was then called uh, uh, Agenda 21. Agenda, Agenda, Agenda 21. 21. Yeah. It's changed names. I'm trying to keep up with all the variations of this name. So he committed the United States to Agenda 21 when under his uh, presidency. And then today, uh, they've changed the name to Agenda 2030 yeah. because they believe and desire to have full implementation of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals in place by 2030. Well, that's just what... So in other words, I think before they thought they were going to have all these goals in place by 2021, now they've realized we've got to push the timetable back, thank God, to 2030. Okay, so that's, I think, why they changed the name, at least in part. Uh, 
13, 13 years, years from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so part of that, part of that agenda. See, in other words, they're going to get in. We've, we're only seeing the initial stages of how aggressive, if they're allowed to operate unchecked, if they're allowed to operate in wherever country they are without any opposition, we're just seeing the beginning of how aggressive they're willing to get. And bringing the Muslims in is the way to destabilize the country, is the way to culturally dilute, the, is a way to bring in a lot of evil people with their paganism. The illegal aliens coming up from Mexico and Central America, a lot of them are bringing in the Santa Morarte death cult religion and a lot of other paganism. And they know that if they can spiritually absolutely annihilate and corrupt a nation, and I'm not saying America's great anyway, but this is a whole other level of evil. This is more overt. This is more like getting into like just out and out satanic religions. That that is going to have a huge, obvious impact on the people of the nation. It's going to defile the land. It's going to allow more devils and demons and evil entities to literally have a right to be here. And this is another reason they're trying to bring them in. These these people, they're looking at them like vessels and containers for very, very high-level devils. Okay? And this will accelerate this United Nations 2030 agenda the more they can bring in to wherever they're trying to destabilize. That's why the United Nations is trying to do this. And is um, uh, dropping national borders. Sure. No more borders. Yeah. It is it is really a one world government system. And what what their goal, obviously, I've said this before, the North American Union, which would be one of the ten super states under Antichrist and false prophet that the Bible talks about in Daniel and in Revelation, that type of stuff. So you drop the border of Mexico, you drop the border of Canada, because you destabilize it so much where you just say, well, we don't know what to do. I mean, we're, we're going to have to just form this one world government. I mean, everything's so unstable and the world economy is falling apart. So we're going we're gonna to go to this as the satanic solution where then you'll have most likely a North American Union currency. You'll have a North American Union political system. It'll all be merged. And then you'll have these 10 super states, super country kind of things that the antichrist and false prophet that's where that's where they're moving us toward the united nations just like the bible says it's the end game do you think trump's going to be successful in the time that he has given the fact that the republicans don't seem to be moving at all and it's almost like they want to stalemate this thing Mm -hmm. just give him three and a half years get him out Mm -hmm. and move on with the agenda uh, I would say that, um, first of all, we need to pray. I'm a person of, of deep prayer, a person sure. of faith. I believe in that, and I think... That's, that's the only hope. Jesus Christ is the only hope for any of this. Yes, I agree. It's very important to be proactive. It's very important to put boots on the ground. It's very important to inform. But that in and of itself, apart from Christ, will not do anything or very little, I believe, to ultimately change this. The, the forces at work are so evil, so satanic, and have so much monetary power. They're the ones that literally, you know, control... They, they have, like, you know, 99% of the world's wealth, this type of thing. Insane's given that to them. The, 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 only, the only hope for, for any of this is, is the intervention of Jesus Christ, is the intervention of Father God and Jesus Christ 
that we might have to, more time. The problem I see is in the Bible, when I look at it, when I look at Daniel, when I look at Revelation, when I look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, you know, I don't see a lot of Bible for this getting turned around. And people that want to say, we're going to beat this, we're going to defeat this, we're going to do this. Okay, well, you got to show me the Bible for that because I'm really not seeing it. I don't need to be Johnny Raincloud over here, but I'm really not seeing how we're going to really long-term, biblically, from a biblical perspective, turn this around. Um, and I don't mean to, to, and I don't say that because I want everybody to just give up and, and to stop fighting wickedness or to stop fighting evil. I, don't, I think we as Christians are supposed to do that. And, and light exposes darkness. And to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness and to have no fellowship with them, which is what the Bible says to do. And to, re, to reprove means you shed light on it. You expose it. That's a part of reproving. You rebuke it, but you're also exposing it and making it. It says make manifest. You're manifesting them. In other words, these deeds that are done in darkness, you bring them out into the light so other people can see how wicked they are. And hopefully it will get them motivated as well. It's very important that we do pray. We need to pray for him because there are people out there that even as we're sitting here are trying to get him out of office by one way or another. And so we need... They're trying to kill him. They're trying to get him out of office. They're trying to discredit him. They're trying to demonize him every day. And anybody on his cabinet that has any kind of righteous bone in their body, the mainstream media is hell-bent every day on besmirching them and smearing their character and demonizing them. And I mean, every, you know, it's just, it's what they do. It's what they are doing. There is no debate on whether that's happening. All you have to do is just... Watch CNN for a day, and I wouldn't advise it. To support him, uh, if you tweet, I would encourage you to get on Twitter. He tweets all day long, yeah, he does. And, and I love it. You know, and he's trying to do anything he can do to bypass the mainstream, prostitute media, and and tweeting is one of the only things he can really do because the mainstream media is totally against him. So he figures if I put a tweet out there, at least it's me. It's coming from me. And, and there's only so much they can do against that, other than they'll typically demonize whatever he says. I just love that he does that, because he's bypassing fake news. Right. And so we're hearing firsthand, straight from him, what's going on, and I love that. And I, I love the ability that we have now to tweet back or to respond to his tweets, which he pays attention to. So um, I think there's some things there that make him unique in his presidency that no other president has really taken advantage of, uh, you know, President Obama did some Facebooking and he did some tweeting, but not to the degree that pres pres right. President Trump has made this his main way of communicating with the American people. So I think we need to uh, get behind him and support him. I think we need to pray for him. I also think that when we find things out, we need to do just like what I'm doing today. We need to sound the alarm. We need to let people know. You know, the American people... Uh, have have long enjoyed what we call American exceptionalism. Yeah. And the world and some of the liberal ideologists want to shame us about that. They want to say to us, well, that's just white privilege. First of all, it has nothing to do with the color of your skin. It has nothing to do with the fact with being privileged. It has to do with the fact that we are U.S. citizens born in a sovereign nation that enjoys yeah. freedom. Yeah, I mean, whether, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're an Indian, whether you're Oriental, if you're an American, this should all 
concern you is equally no matter what your skin color is. But they're trying to divide and conquer, creating particularly with the black against the white and then the, the, the Hispanic with the whole illegal alien thing and then the whole Cal Exit thing and the whole Azatlan thing. They're trying to create race wars between the Hispanic populations and the whites and the black populations and the whites. But the main focus of demonization is the white race, as I've said before. I mean, you just look at all the propaganda Hollywood's putting out. I'm not saying that because I'm white. I'm saying it because if I was blue, I would still be reporting on this. This is what I'm seeing, guys. This is obviously what is going on. Does that mean there, there haven't been atrocities done to other races? Like blacks or Indians? Or, sure, absolutely there's been atrocities across the ages. Uh, I'm just saying what's going on right now is what I'm observing. It's a very, very big divide-and-conquer culture that we're in, and they do not want us united under one banner trying to pursue righteousness and trying to expose evil. They want to divide us all and get us fighting at each other and, and not looking at the real issues of, of who the real puppet masters are, you know, in the Illuminati, like the George Soroses and, and those types of people who are really the ones that are causing all of this division, and they're pouring billions and billions of dollars into creating this race war and it's freedom and liberty that we're really fighting for and so when you realize that you're about to lose the standard of living in which you're accustomed and you're about to lose your ability to live freely with liberty then it burns i mean it starts a fire under you you get you get a fire lit under you and i've seen up close and personal how, how dangerously close we've come to losing those very freedoms and liberties. And yeah. so I think those things, you know, are some practical things. Had Hitlery got in, which they were not expecting, I think we would already be in a totally different world. I do believe that she said one of the first things, she intimated that she was going to go after the alternative media. It's very a lot harder to shut down the alternative media, which is the one, the only part of the media that's a, that's for Trump. It's very very hard to do that when Trump's in office. Now, if they could get him out of office and install one of their puppets in there, like um, Pence or whatever, because I don't trust him any farther than I can throw him. Um, I'm not saying that they, that he would go after alternative media like Hillary would have, but it would probably be a matter of time. But had Hillary got in, I really would shudder to think what it would be like already. I mean, you know, the we're we're you know more than halfway through March, and going into spring especially, which I know they've got all kind of plans for for when spring kicks off, and and you know like between now and May Day especially. All of these these Soros-funded um, things to create this gigantic race war, and you know that they've got planned. I think that would be. I don't know. I, I just shudder to think what it would already be like, and what would be coming. Uh, anyway, I just want to throw that in there. Things that we can do, um, and certainly uh, let our local officials know, our local elected officials know how we feel. One of the things that um, I've taken note about with President Trump is how often he's meeting with the governors of each state, you know, and even with some of the senators and congressmen or uh, state representatives from each state. You know, he's really wanting and seeking answers. He wants to know the truth. I believe he's on a fact-finding mission, and I believe he's ultimately going to get the truth. And he, it's almost like I think Trump isn't fully, 
maybe aware. Maybe he is now, but I don't think when he first got into office, I don't think he was fully aware of how against him the Congress, the Senate, and the governors, and people in high political office, the judges that are against him, I don't think he had any concept of, of how entrenched the New World Order and the Obama regime and the Clinton machine is in high government and, and how evil both the Republican and the Democrat sides and how entrenched they are and how bent they are on bringing in the New World Order. I don't think he had any concept because he's assuming the best from people a lot of times, I think, which is kind of naive. You can tell he's meeting he's trying to do this he's trying to do that he's thinking that they're going to listen to some kind of voice of reason and they'll shake their head and they'll glad hand him all day long but they have no real most of them have no real interest they're bought and paid for they're luciferians they're probably bloodline luciferians they're part of the illuminati they didn't get to that position most likely any other way so you know they'll but they'll shake his hand just like that speech he gave to congress or whatever not too long ago everybody's standing up and clapping for him and all this stuff and glad handing him and all this garbage and and i really would guarantee you the vast majority of those devils would love to see him dead and we're just flabbergasted that he even got into office the majority i'm not saying all but the majority so he's you know it, it's an incomprehensible battle yes it is uh you know i kind of I kind of think that uh, because I, uh, you know, I was involved in the 1985 hijacking of TWA hijacking. What do you mean involved? Well, I worked. She was one of the hijackers. That's she's going to reveal. Just kidding, teasing. For Captain John Testrake, who was the pilot of the plane that was hijacked in 1985. Whoa. And through when she said I was involved in the hijacking, that didn't sound too good, did it? <laughs> I was one of the mass bandits that actually took over the plane and commandeered it. Yes, that was me that experience um, I learned many many things and one of the things that I learned was uh, sometimes they you know uh, when when these refugees and of course back then they were called immigrants mm -hmm. so when the immigrants were coming into the let's say the Kansas City area because I was I would I had an experience uh, in the Kansas City area on one occasion so these these immigrants were brought in and uh, they were placed in public housing. This was back in the 80s. And uh, it just happened one day that we were uh, over there doing some ministry work through my church. And one of the people that was with me spoke fluent Arabic. He's fluent Farsi. And so as we were walking through the uh, uh, public housing area over there, he overheard some men sitting on the hood of a car talking. And it wasn't until we got well past these men that he told me what they said. And what they were talking about was um, sleeper cells. And this was when? This was in the 80s. Wow. So if that was going on back in the 80s, what's going on today? Well, and Hezbollah just announced that they have a complete... Yeah, like, I, I remember when I gave a presentation to a church back in uh, Independent Fundamental Baptist Church. I, I was attended in North Fort Myers, Florida. And the first time I ever spoke before the church on any kind of official capacity, I spoke on this topic. And it was basically research that I had seen, I mean, straight from the horse's mouth from these Muslims that 
you know, they were going to, one of the ways they were going, going to attack cities, and this, you have to understand, this was like, you know, um, the research I was getting went all the way back into the 80s, into the 70s. This is how long they've been building these terrorist cells here. Okay, yes, have they, and we're only hearing about what's been going on lately, but they have had decades to get entrenched, okay? The enemy has had decades to get entrenched and to build networks and to build all of these things that they're building in order to one day finally attack. One of the things they had talked about was that they were going to be renting these airplanes, like it would um, be like these private type Cessna airplanes, and they could fly over major freeways and have what they call a Venturi, which I don't know um, exactly how they were going to mount it, but it was basically like a was something that you could put biological agents into and disperse it over large areas like a city or over highways and things of this nature where you would ensure you were going to have these biological agents like anthrax and only God knows whatever they're going to try to spray on us. And I'm sure they'll have the help of our government doing that. Um, the, the black part of our government that wants to see us all dead. Um where they could fly over cities and do this very easily and release, you know, tons of this stuff over large populated areas and do, I mean, kill maximum amount of people for the minimal amount of effort. They could even go down highways, they said, and take these Venturis and cut holes like in the bottom of vans or cars and basically disperse this stuff on the highways you're going down if it's like a a moderate day and people have their windows down especially it's going to get sucked up right into the car you and you could you could literally infect and, and if these things are contagious if there's a contagious aspect of these you could then become a vector for spreading whatever they're going to do and this is one of the first presentations i ever gave at a baptist church long long time ago and then i related to how colloidal silver can be an antidote for some of these biological agents not all of them it just depends what type of agent they're dispersing but if it has a bacterial or a viral component the the colloidal silver can be a you know one of the main things you could use against it uh, so anyway let's go further network of sleeper cells here in the u.s mm -hmm. ready for the trigger and that's beyond the independent ISIS groups and all right. that sort of stuff. Right. You know, something you just mentioned, though, what we call these people, how we identify them, mm -hmm. they used to be called immigrants. Right. Now they're called refugees. Correct. And a lot of people don't understand that there's a legal distinction. Mm -hmm. A refugee under a U.N. charter, mm -hmm. if they're considered a, a refugee by the U.N., mm -hmm. that allows U.N. peacekeepers to be present wherever a U.N. <laughs> refugees are. That's absolutely correct. Can you kind of talk... Did you hear that? Because of their the status of refugee, even though they're not refugees really at all, they're just coming here to get free stuff and to ultimately rape, steal, kill, and pillage Americans. That's basically the carrot that has been put before them, all in the service of Allah. As long as they have that status of refugee, that gives the UN a right to be here and supposedly police these refugees and have UN, quote, peacekeepers boots on the ground so that's a whole other part of the agenda which gives the united nations supposed legal reasons to be here on our soil so this is another reason it's so important for them to pull this off get into that a little bit and, yes. and the risk that some conspiracy theorists thought we were in and now we actually find that 
maybe they weren't so crazy after all. Well, you know, I would say this to that. Um, St. Louis, interestingly, the city of St. Louis and the county of St. Louis is the only county uh, in Missouri that doesn't have a sheriff. Are you aware of that? Well, now there's two. It's St. Charles County and St. Louis County. Right. That's where Saint, I'm at. Right. St. Charles County just voted in April of 2014 yeah. to no longer have a sheriff. Yeah. Okay. And we know that uh, Francis Slay, the uh, uh, mayor. mayor of St. Louis, is wanting desperately for St. Louis to be identified as a smart city, a strong city, a sanctuary city, <laughs> all of the above. You know, yeah. he wants these designations on St. Louis. So this is ground level for evil. When you have devils that are converting cities into this, no sheriff, smart cities, sanctuary cities, I mean, those are the places you want to avoid like the plague because that is ground level for pure evil. That is ground level for what ultimately will become a, a model for Antichrist and false prophet type of United Nations uh, ruling. That's the model city right there. Well, those are UN identifiers. Those, those fall under Agenda 2030. Those fall underneath the Sustainable Development Goals. Wow. And so uh, in the United States, we have what are called sheriffs, and sheriffs actually have the highest authority of any county. So if a federal FBI agent comes into the county, the first place they have to go by law, and they do go, is to the local sheriff's office. They mm -hmm. have to let them know they're in their county. Mm -hmm. Well, why is that? Because the sheriff holds the highest authority. The sheriff can arrest, detain, charge anybody in the county that he, that he or she sees fit to do if they're violating the law. Well, if you don't have uh, a sheriff, and let's use St. Louis as our example because they don't have a sheriff. And mm -hmm. St. Louis proper and St. Louis County and now St. Charles no longer have a sheriff. And you've got refugees living, which we now know in 2017, 1,200 refugees have been sent to St. Louis City and County. In 2017. Uh -huh. And, we're and that's, that's one city, 1,200 in 2017. And we're only like a little over three and a half months into 2017. And those are the ones we know about. What about all the other ones off the books that we don't know about that are coming in by other means? I mean, this problem is so gigantic and I just don't think enough emphasis is being put upon this in the alternative media, even the alternative media. Um, this is such a fifth column Trojan horse type of thing that is happening every day under our noses and there's just virtually no coverage of this uh th this needs to be something that all the alternative media really needs to to take time to focus on i believe and i know there's so many issues to focus on i i get that but um it's just a it's the problem is so enormous in scope and it's so satanic only in march uh-huh yeah Okay. So you've got 1,200 refugees, and that's just so far this year. That's not counting last year or 2015 or 2014. Sure. That's just right now. So you've got 1,200 that we know of for this year so far, and, and you don't have a sheriff. So who is going to police them or anybody else for that matter should anything break out? Mm -hmm. Well, we have, we have heard that there's been U.N. peacekeeping uh, vehicles sighted in those counties. 
See, and, and as weird as that might have sounded five years ago, if some sort of... So in other words, you don't have a sheriff there now. You've got no real high-level authority in that county. They're, they've done away with sheriffs. And you have the refugees here under the auspices of these United Nations refugee resettlement programs, which when they're bringing their refugees in, then they have a right to police them. So therefore, they have a right to have boots on the ground. You see how all of this will ultimately is ultimately going to end up being justified? Oh, well, we had to do away with the sheriffs because we had this massive wave of these these wonderful Muslim um, immigrants coming in, fleeing whatever. This is the cover story. And we had to have the UN come in because we need our own internal police force, obviously, to pursue them. Because And then, you know, you go into the whole, well, is America even sovereign anymore? You've got other, you know, law enforcement, essentially, trumping local law enforcement. You've got, now you've got the UN. It's just, it's an absolute nightmare in the making what we're looking at here a conspiracy late night talk show mm -hmm. sort of rambling mm -hmm. that's absolutely true mm -hmm. because where there's refugees there's un peacekeepers right. allowed to be right and you know it's not just st louis uh joe biden's son in delaware worked very hard to eliminate counties with sheriffs mm. and it, it's biden. part of that systemic problem where they know what they're after right if we can eliminate the sheriff right we can eliminate the the checks and balances that's right that's right. And, and, and we all saw what they did to Sheriff Joe Arpaio mm -hmm. down there in Arizona. You know, that man had an illustrious career. Mm -hmm. And he's no longer the sheriff. Right. Right. So they know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. And a lot do. of big money went into that local local sheriff's race. Right. Yeah, the, the, I would, millions and millions of George Soros alone went into making sure Arpaio didn't get reelected because he was kind of a, you know, he was a catalyzing figure that a lot of other sheriffs, I believe, looked to as as bold as he was in, his, in the things that he was saying, you know, he was emboldening other sheriffs, and they don't want that. They want to do away with, I really believe, ultimately, all the sheriffs in the land. And they got to start somewhere, and obviously they've, they've got, Satan has got a, a foothold now in St. Louis County and in, in this other county there that she cited. And um, I hope that Trump would, would bring in Sheriff Arpaio into his administration in some higher level capacity where he can do more, you know, uh, of what he was trying to do on a local basis there uh, in the Phoenix area, where he could do it more on a national level. And that, that sheriff from um, Milwaukee, he's awesome too. Um, there's a lot of really good sheriffs that, that, that have got the memo, that have a very, very good idea of what is going on and they're seeing it firsthand. Um, so anyway, I, I, I hope that, that he would do that, bring them in, because that could be a tremendous asset to his administration. Well, what about this, though? What about this idea that in these sanctuary cities, you have people who are saying to the federal government, we're going to reject your law, your ordinance, your rules. Mm -hmm. Part of us says, well, that's good, right? Because we're supposed to have state sovereignty, so mm -hmm. I'm kind of for that. But the other part of us says you're only doing it to endanger us. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say to that, I would want to know under, under the auspices of what are they making that declaration. Mm -hmm. Because if it's a sanctuary city, they're going to bring in UN protocols and they're going to make those known. There will be no question that they are now suspending 
you know, national sovereignty, state sovereignty, sure. and the Constitution. Because people will, when when they start pushing uh, their their agenda, you know, people are going to push back, and that's when they'll make it known that this is what they're really all about. You know, that you you have agreed to this, and so. You know, they have such a way of saying, this was all your idea, remember? <laughs> this is what you wanted, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> is, is there anything else you would like to bring up to the American people? Uh, you know, I would say, Josh, uh, in, in final words, I would say, fight for everything that's within you to maintain your freedom and your liberty. Be vigilant. Stay awake. Be alert. Come to attention. There are very... Uh, Which is what the Bible says to do, to be sober, alert, awake. You know, be vigilant, for your enemy is a roaring lion, seeking whom, may, whom he may devour. I mean, this is the enemy coming in, and this has been a decades and decades long processes, in so many different ways, the enemy coming in subtly at the beginning, and then more emboldened as he gets more of a foothold, seeking to literally just destroy America, just to destroy any part of the world, that has any kind of liberty or freedom that needs to be stripped from humanity in general doesn't matter what part of the world you live in if there's freedom if there's liberty and these types of things in those areas those areas need to be um i don't know driven into slavery essentially driven into a surf type culture into a hunger games type of scenarios like i've said before many times which is where they really want to bring us and then ultimately, if he's Satan had his way, he'd kill everybody. Because, you know, we're created in God's image. So, um, but, and that's why the Bible says if those days weren't short, there would no flesh survive, essentially, okay? But we're on the winning team as Christians. And, and um, the devil knows how it turns out. And, and he's, you know, he's furious about that. And he's still going to try to fight tooth and nail him and his fallen angels and devils and demons in order to, you know, try to thwart God's plans, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Aggressive, assertive, nefarious agents all around us. And when you see something that looks a little out of kilter in your town or in your city or in your county, check it out. Go find out. You know, I've become so bold these days where I just, I just go to the zoning office and just ask for documents or I attend county commission meetings and I observe and I record and it makes them nervous you know but I'll tell you we're in a time right now that our freedoms are on the line our lives are being uh, you know they want to inventory monitor and control all human activity that yeah. is their stated objective well I don't want to be inventoried monitored or controlled and I don't think many people do and so when we start to see things coming along that look a little out of kilter, a little off. It's it's well within our purview. It's within our rights as a U.S. citizen, and in, and more than that, it's our responsibility. It's our it Patrick is. Henry responsibility. It is to go check it out and find out. And this is why we have to be really careful of playing party politics too. Yes. Because right now we have two parties that are both interested in making government bigger mm -hmm. and expanding the police state. Right. Just right. one wants to make the left side of the building bigger, the other wants to make the right side of the sure. building bigger. So we as patriots, as individuals, have to take that responsibility back. That's right. Thank you so much for being brave enough to bring this to the American people <laughs> well, and talking you. to us. Thank you, Josh. And I'm, I'm glad to be here and I appreciate your invitation. 
So there you have it. Told you it was going to make you mad. Now it's up to you to do something about it. Contact your representatives, your governors, just everybody on your name list. Contact them all. Let them know what's really happening with the UN Refugee Resettlement Program. The fact that these people are getting passports, social security numbers that are coming in in the middle of the night and getting ran to locations that are undisclosed. All of this is unacceptable. It's happening now. It's the middle of March, so it's not something that happened under an old presidential administration. It's happening under this one. And be careful, even if your state bans the refugee resettlement program, they can come in under Wilson Fish, so you have to be abreast and aware of that situation as well. And share this video everywhere. Okay, so some really good closing remarks there. Um, I just felt like the more I listen to that interview, I'm like, I really need to just play the majority of this. I skipped some of the parts, uh, but incredibly important information. A lot of the stuff I had no idea of. It was that bad. And uh, hopefully um, that'll give you a good um, a good knowledge base of that subject there. going to finish out with some other statistics regarding the illegal aliens and then probably uh, wrap it up for today. Uh, because I've got quite a bit of uh, of a study to go through, but I'm already I'm already way over two hours, and this part is probably gonna uh, probably be an hour and a half to an hour and forty five minutes. The next report is um, uh, the far left liberal Washington Post, owned by billionaire Jeff Bezos, headlined an article on March 16th stating that immigrants are now canceling their food stamps for fear that Trump will deport them. A short time later, later, the liberal mouthpiece edited its headline by omitting that immigrants are on food stamps because a lot of people don't know that, or they don't want people to know that, and rather, meaning these are illegal aliens. Is what they're, they're not immigrants, they're illegal aliens, okay? Again, they're coming in, they're getting all of these benefits, just like these devils, these devil Muslim fighting age men that we just talked about, okay? That's where a gigantic part of social security is going to and our tax dollars and all of these things that americans have paid into for decades and decades and decades the ones that are reaping the benefits are the ones that a lot of the ones that hate our guts and want to see us destroyed okay um i say that from an american perspective but that's what we're looking at here uh let's go further here they then he he edited the headline later by omitting that immigrants are on food stamps and rather blaming President Trump for them going hungry, even though they should have never been here in the first place and they came here illegally. Um, and it says now immigrants are going hungry, so Trump won't deport them. Oh, the humanity! That was the headline there. Bezos quickly changed this headline as it doesn't want you to know, as they don't want you to know that illegals are on benefits paid for by you. So then they just blame everything on Trump. So then they changed the headline to, the headline was, immigrants are now canceling their food stamps for fear Trump will deport them. Then they realize what they did, and they're like, oh, no, 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 let's change it. Immigrants are going hungry, so Trump won't deport them. So it's always this big brow beating, you're evil, you have no compassion, how dare you, <laughs> while all of these illegal aliens, including the Muslims, are just pouring in. It's unbelievable. Here, here's some neat statistics. I just got this this month from a, a uh, newsletter that goes out to North Carolinians, North Carolinians uh, via email, and it's called NC Fire. And NC Fire members and concerned concerned citizens of North Carolina. I 
read you a lot of these statistics. To bring you up to date, 170 illegal aliens have been charged with 592 child rapes and child sexual assaults and indecent liberties with a child in just over the last 10 months in just North Carolina alone. So here's some wonderful fruit of these illegal aliens, 592 child rapes, child sexual assaults and indecent liberties with a child in just the last 10 months from these wonderful illegal aliens that we've we've let come in there and there's virtually no coverage of this at all in local papers i get the local paper here every once in a while i'll check i'll check it online i'll check the um the charlotte observer online there's nothing about this and not only this a lot of these rapes are not even reported a lot of uh, in fact you could maybe double or triple this figure they're not even reported. They have to dig so hard to even find these these ones. And there's there's they've given all these other reasons why a lot of them are never reported and we'll never know about them. So this is a much bigger problem than I'm even reporting on. And this is just for one state. These monthly reports cover a period from May 2016 through February 2017. Every monthly report can be viewed on our website, ncfire.info. So if you want to know more about that. Now let's, again, then we can go to this uh, little part. It says, and this is all along the lines of the illegal alien problem. Sadly, Mexico is beyond a bad neighbor as it relates to our border. By not controlling their side and allowing illegal, Im illegal immigrants and drug traffickers to routinely cross into the USA, and now in California, as I've said, it's just basically come one, come all, thanks to Governor Jerry Brown. Um, the same one that was making sure he could do everything to destroy the Orville Dam, which they're going to you know, that's a whole other thing that they're going to push for very soon as well when the spring melt comes, as we talked about in the last study. Anyway, um, by pushing, also by pushing sewage into our waterways, as noted in the web links below, we're going to get into that in a second, and by all the trash dropped by illegal immigrants into our national parks and border areas as illegal aliens cross into the USA in violation of our U.S. immigration laws. Now, let's just look at this a little bit more. First report, Mexican sewage routinely fouling San Diego beaches now and, and ocean waters. During the 17 days that 140 million, 140 million gallons of raw sewage poured from Mexico into the Tijuana River and then into the ocean, fronting several popular South San Diego communities, no Mexican official disclosed the potential health and environmental hazards. They don't care. We're gringos. They don't care about us. You know? I mean, you look at all the wickedness going on in Mexico. I've reported on it over and over again. With the Santa Marti death cult. With the, with, the, with the Mexican drug cartels. I mean, it is... It is so black, so dark, as far as the black magic that's going on down there. The mass murders. I mean, it is just unbelievable. So this really shouldn't surprise us any. Despite the silence when the spill began on February 6th, some 200,000 people living in South San Diego, Imperial Beach, and Chula Vista knew that there was something amiss. Even a mile away from the Tijuana River, they could smell the eye-watering, throat-burning, overwhelming smell of raw sewage. They'd eventually learned this was the worst sewage spill in the region in a decade. The spill resulted in several miles of beaches being closed for five to six weeks from the Mexican border north to the city of Coronado. Next report, illegal immigrants trash borderlands with tons of waste. A little-known side of the heated Mexican border security issue is that the government workers risk their lives to clean up um, 
the huge amounts of trash left by the illegal immigrants in secluded desert areas with rigorous training. I mean, they are beyond pigs. They, they leave the most disgusting garbage behind, and they could care less, you know. Uh, the job is becoming increasingly difficult and dangerous as illegal aliens use more remote paths to avoid step, stepped-up enforcement along the vast U.S.-Mexico border. Each year, illegal immigrants leave behind an estimated 200, no, I'm sorry, 2,000 tons of trash, including soiled diapers, plastic bottles, um, abandoned vehicles, used condoms, in, in public Arizona lands uh, along the border. And when, the, when they rape the women along the way, when the coyotes get the women and they bring them across and they rape them, they'll hang their, their, their like undergarments up on trees as like a sign of conquest. That's another thing they do. Um, so it's all kind of just incredible wickedness that goes along with this whole illegal alien smuggling process. Um, Darwin's, uh, it's becoming tougher to clean up the huge mess. These are dangerous areas, Darwin told the panel. These are known areas of illegal immigration, illegal drug trafficking. Darwin was the guy they were, they were uh, interviewing for this. The problem is so severe that the state created a special website dedicated to trash along Arizona's 370-mile border with Mexico. It includes pictures of southern border areas covered with piles of waste, as well as alarming statistics. For instance, the thousands of tons of trash discarded by illegal aliens annually is having a detrimental environmental impact in affecting the, the area's human health and the economic well-being. Well, they're also, what they do is they go into uh, people that have property, they trash their land, they trash their wells, they threaten them, they kill their livestock, they do all kind of evil stuff. It's like a third world country down there in certain parts, as far as if you're near the border especially. Um, I've played tons of interviews of people that live down there, first-hand accounts. Listed, listed examples include strewn trash and piles, illegal trails and paths, erosion, watershed degradation, damaged infrastructure and property and loss of vegetation and wildlife. There's also a lot of vandalism, graffiti, and damage to historical archaeological sites. Uh, adding insult to injury, taxpayers pick up the exorbitant tab to clean it up. I mean, everything I talked about today was pure wickedness that was being foisted on the American law-abiding American populace, and we're forced to pay the bill. I mean, total insanity. Now, I'm going to go ahead and end there. I'm just going to give a quick update. A lot of people wanted to know about the um, the camping trip that we had taken recently um, that I had kind of talked, mentioned a little bit in my studies. I don't like to say a lot about that type of stuff ahead of time because, you know, like I said, I've had like, Witch Coven after Witch Coven after Witch Coven trying to kill me. And I don't like to give, give a lot of heads up of where I might be and that type of thing because of that. I'm pretty low-key. It's not that I'm afraid of them. It's just that I don't. I want to also be wise when I, when I do things. Um, I haven't heard from, you know, the last time that we had that uh, rigmarole from a few months back with uh, Jasmine, the black-eyed witch, saying she's going to, you know, astral project into my bedroom and kill me and all this other stuff. Well, that didn't materialize. So, um, but that's not the first time that's happened. I mean, I've had tons and tons of threats over, over things like that. And you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ is just greater than it all, period. And I thank God for my listeners that are praying for us. And, you know, without you, you know, I shudder to think <laughs> where we would be. Um, but we had talked about doing this trip to into the Virginia area where there's been all these sightings of these cryptozoological creatures, whether you want to refer, some of them are Bigfoot, 
uh, things like werewolves, the reptilian, you know, a lot of different sightings, not by just my one listener, James, but by other people, other accounts that I have read you, um, other listeners that have, that have reported from that area. And so we went to this one particular park where they had had a, um, uh, a encounter before, uh, a very, very severe encounter. And it was like last November. My listener, James, had went there with another um, gentleman who was, I believe, a Afghanistan war vet. And they had had just a horrible encounter with these Bigfoot creatures. The part of the park that they were staying in was actually closed. Um, because there weren't enough people in the park as of yet for them to justify opening it. Because most of the time, when we went in there, and we, this is the way we wanted it to be, um, it was very, very light. We didn't. We wanted to go in when there would be the least amount of people because we figured that that would, as far as if they were going to manifest, if it was the Lord's will, and we were actually to engage these creatures, then the greatest likelihood of that happening would be if there wasn't a lot of other human activity around. And, okay, so for the people, before I say anything more, though, for the people that say, oh, there's no such thing as Bigfoot and all this other stuff, come on, really? I mean, there have been thousands and thousands and thousands of sightings of these creatures over the decades, okay? It's, I mean... Are you telling me that every single sighting was just all made up? There's no merit to any of it. Let me just read you a little bit about this particular subject. Most researchers who study Bigfoot subject will point to the abundance of witnesses as, as a factor they found most compelling about the mystery when first becoming acquainted with it. Over the course of time, Bigfoot researchers meet with enough eyewitnesses to realize there are indeed many, many eyewitness accounts across the continent who are very credible. Often there are multiple witnesses to a given sighting or encounter. There are, in fact, way too many eyewitnesses for this phenomenon to be purely imaginary. As skeptics assert, with such an abundance of eyewitnesses who are dispersed across the continent and dispersed across the decades, the alternate skeptical explanation that the sightings are the result of hoaxers in the whole or even in large part becomes much less likely. Researchers eventually come to realize that if there are indeed so many credible eyewitnesses across the land, then the species they so consistently and emphatically describe probably exists also. And I'm just going to read you some of the, the stuff regarding this. This is just kind of a little footnote, um, some things about this. Um, uh, the mystery behind the sightings of Sasquatches, which is... a term interchangeable with Bigfoot, took on a new dimension in the 1960s when Dr. Grover Kantz of Washington State University began examining casts and photos of footprints from various parts of Washington. One of the sets of casts showed anatomical features of an injured foot that were either made by a real walking, upright walking primate or an artist with an expert understanding of primate foot anatomy. Okay. So in other words, it was most likely very real, the things that have been done. Um, they go into some of the footage that, that have been, that have, uh, has come out. Um, I'm not even going to get into that part. There's all kind of things where they've analyzed that one particular film. The, uh, the Patterson-Gimlin film is widely regarded as one of the strongest pieces of evidence for the existence of Sasquatches. The footage was obtained in a remote mountains area in northern california in 1967 the two men involved were roger patterson and bob 
Gimlin. Patterson was a rodeo rider from Yamaka, Washington. He was trying to make a documentary about the Bigfoot mystery when he went down to Northern California with a rental of a 16mm movie camera about hearing about the numerous tracks in the valley around Bluff Creek. And this is where he got the footage. The footage has been repeatedly analyzed by scientists over the last 40 years. It has never been proven a hoax. Um, and so we've got that. That's just one of the many, many, many pieces. Uh, most of the native tribes across North America have stories in their oral, oral traditions describing giant hairy figures that look and behave very similar to what Americans and Canadians have described over the last few centuries. James brought up in one of the things that he sent me that these Indians literally worshipped these creatures like they were gods and sacrificed to them and these types of things. So this is totally part of Indian culture that was never questioned. The tribes are spread across the linguistic linguistic groups of different native languages every native linguistic group has its own name for these figures I and mean, you're telling me they each each indian group made them up what possible motivation would they have to to hoax bigfoot encounters before the white man ever even got here it makes no sense at all um Every native linguistic group has its own name for these figures. They had different names for them, but it was the same thing, basically. Suggesting the stories of these figures did not arise all in the same place. They didn't. Sightings continue to happen on certain native reservations in the United States and Canada. Those reservations with an abundance of natural food sources. Well, that's, you know, a big boy's gotta eat. And Bigfoot are big. And they, they probably put down a whole bunch of food. Um... There are many examples of recordings attributed to the sounds of Bigfoot, which are distinct from the sounds of other animals. Uh, James had described to me all the tree knocking that has went on that he's heard, and then tree knocking that's even on his own property right now that he's dealing with. Um, the whistling sounds that are made, which are very, very distinctive, uh, which are, and that happened um, in their, I believe, their last encounter and the encounter before that. The whistling sounds. Bigfoots are said to make loud howls and screams at night, as well as wood knocking sounds and rock clacking sounds. The most compelling collection of recordings was obtained in California Sierra Nevada mountains in the 1970s with the help of a newspaper journalist from Sacramento. Those recordings, called the Sierra Sounds Collection, are widely believed to be authentic recordings of Bigfoot. Bigfoots. Um, a few of those recordings captured what sound like a primitive language, which it's also a thing that you hear a lot of if you get close enough to them. Sound recordings have been obtained in eastern states as well, as such and such as states as Ohio, Mississippi, and Florida. And this last one, I'll just see. Um, okay, beginning in the late 1990s and continuing for the next 10 years, fingerprint expert Jimmy Chillicoot in Texas began examining details in track casts obtained in various parts of the country, and, and meaning they're they're casting these Bigfoot foot impressions okay and um he began examining details in these track casts that were obtained in various parts of the country he noticed distinct dermal ridges in some of the casts some of them nearly microscopic details showed healed scars where the skin had been previously cut or damaged and you figure if these things are walking around barefoot all the time and with the prevalence of you know now more so than ever like broken glass stuff like that they're probably going to get their feet cut up from time to time. Um, some of the casts showed larger longitudinal ridges, which were brought 
which were thought to be dermal ridges originally. Other researchers later demonstrated that those larger longitudinal ridges could have been created inadvertently in the process of pouring the liqui liquefied plaster into the track impression. The more microscopic details of the heel dermal scars, however, were not caused that way. The heel scar patterns tend to be off to confirm the authenticity of the tracks in question. So there's all these different, this is just a little cliff note version of the proof that these creatures actually exist. Okay, so for somebody to go around and say, oh, they don't, <laughs> there's no, you know, validity to any of this, come on, really? Well, how do you explain the Indian legends? Different tribes describe the same thing. They're all isolated from one another, and they pass it down through their oral and maybe written traditions, and they're all basically saying the same thing. I mean, that by itself is pretty heavy-duty evidence. What motivation would they have had? Were they trying to make an extra buck back in the day before the white man got here? <laughs> it makes no sense at all. Anyway, so we get there, and we, we set up camp where, like... We're not in the same place James was in before. We, in fact, we're on the. I think we're on the opposite side of the park. This is like a thousand-acre park. It's big. Okay, it's huge. It's right on the Potomac River, uh, or one of the forks of the Potomac River, and um, we weren't like right up butted against the ocean. We had woods behind us. I don't know how far the ocean was. I think it was behind us, but I, I'm not. A, I'm not a hundred percent sure how far um anyway so we get there and uh, set up camp uh, introductions are made brought my my listener uh good time um good friend greg from this area from the hickory area uh he's the one that went to the to the uh, trump rally with me and stuff and uh greg had um and we all had i mean we'd fasted some prayed a lot about it uh you know, just really try to make sure we were spiritually ready because we didn't know what was what we were going to encounter. And so we get there and then we set up camp. We have the fire going and stuff like that. And basically the first night, what we had agreed to do is pretty much that we would have somebody up at least in the night hours all the time just to make kind of like guard the camp because what had happened last time when they had went is, and I had read this this account online, is is that was when they had the big problem where these things were actually getting into the camp and walking around the tents and stuff like that. They were never ever never able to get into the tents because I believe purely because of God's protection. But the fact that they were breaking into the perimeter of the camp was obviously a problem. Okay, so we wanted to avoid that, and if somebody was guarding the camp there to sit up, pray, and that type of thing, hopefully we could avert that. So we prayed a lot the first night. We had a lot of really good fellowship. It was just a, a, a really good time. The first night was not near as cold as the second night. The first night, though, right when we got done with one set of prayers, not only did we hear a lot of this whistling off in the distance, um, that they're talking about. I didn't really hear any wood knocks the whole time we were there, but we definitely heard a lot of strange whistling. James was more familiar with that, so so he would kind of be able to differentiate on the whistling better. But I'm telling you, man, when we were there that first night after we got done with the one set of prayers, man, it sounded like 50, no more than 50 yards away, a gigantic tree falling. And there was no wind that night to speak of. 
I mean, it was just out of nowhere. This tree just fell over. And it made a gigantic racket. And that's typically what you will find in a lot of these accounts of either Bigfoot or uh, these other cryptozoological creatures that are large. When they get agitated, if you're doing something or maybe even to warn you, um, they will knock over trees. That's one of the ways that they get, they show they're agitated or they're warning you. Um, and that happened, okay? That was undeniable. That was really weird. That was out of, like, no reason that that should have happened. And the second night, I could have kind of understood it because the second night was freezing. It was in, the, I believe, the lower 20s, and it was raining off and on. And, um, well, during the morning it was, especially. I think we had a little bit, a little bit at night, but um, it was very windy. But I, I didn't hear one tree fall at all the second night. Second night was was similar, but actually less eventful. Um, we basically the same thing. Prayed as you know, it was getting dark. Came against these things. Um, whatever we felt led to do prior to this, as far as praying and things of this nature, you know, we did that. Um, I took the watch from 11 until 4 in the morning. And I definitely, my back was literally to the woods because the way the fire was oriented, this fire pit, the way that you got the best heat, because it was freezing that night. I mean, I had like three sets of, I had level three thermal underwear on. I had jeans on top of that. And then I had sweatpants on top of that. And I had long socks with shoes and then I had like level three thermals up top, long sleeve with another shirt on top of that with another heavy like, like kind of a fleece shirt jacket type of thing. And then a gigantically heavy like coat, hunting coat on top of that. A lot of this, some of this gear I'd never wore before. I never, you know, and then like a knit cap, like a mitten type knit cap on my head. Plus I had gloves on and I was still... I mean, if you got right in front of the fire, you were okay, but we had to keep the fire going the whole the whole time. Man, was it cold. Wow, that was the coldest night I have ever spent in my life. Low 20s, really, really windy. Um, sky pretty much cleared up that night. I mean, it was creepy. It was, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you right now. It was, it was and the, there was no light source. I would basically... The, the moon was pretty good, so you could see pretty well. But I felt on a couple occasions that night from a spiritual standpoint, just, you know, how you get that feeling. Um, and I would just pray, come against it, kind of like the first night. I just really feel like they were not permitted to get near us for one reason or another. That's kind of been the story of my life. When I go out on these things and I go to engage these things that are supposedly very, very, very prevalent, usually... If I've done praying and fasting and things of this nature, by the time I get there, I don't know. They're, they're not allowed to manifest. I think it's like nothing is going to be revealed before it's time. That type of thing from God. And I'll say this now, but Taylor told me, I was telling her a little bit about the trip beforehand. And she has a lot of, uh, I don't know, insight on these types of things. And as she was sitting on the couch, as I was talking to her about this, she said, Dad, she says, and this is before I went. I didn't tell this to anybody at the time. But she says, Dad, I really don't think you're going to see anything when you go out there. I really, I don't think that they're going to be permitted to manifest. I don't think they're going to be permitted to get near you. 
I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I hate to say it, but you're probably, it's probably what's going to happen. And she was right, you know. So, but, you know, that was God's will. So, you know. And the, the bottom line, we had a ton of people praying for us, you know. Um, a lot of intercessors, people were, uh, were fasting for us. You know, <laughs> we were covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, you know, they just weren't allowed to manifest, is what it boiled down to, is the way it seemed. Had things been differently, I mean, had things maybe, been, I don't know, had we not prepared as much, had, had we not had people praying and fasting, it probably would have been a very, very different trip. You know, overall, I'm very glad, though, that we went, that we, you know, we're actually able to go to this area because I've talked a lot about it lately. And I, and you know, it's, it's, you know, you're looking at about an hour and a half below Washington, DC. So you're getting into that Northern Virginia area where there's a lot of Freemasonic architecture, a lot of cryptozoological creatures that have been sighted like Bigfoots, werewolves, reptilians, and all this other stuff. You're getting into pedophile central where you've had tons of kids show up missing uh, then you got Washington D.C. and all the pedophile network there. You know that's the you know the the whole architecture of the whole Washington D.C. is literally a cult. It's based off a big square and compass and pentagrams and all this other stuff that are literally been into the built in the architecture. It's got the largest obelisk on Earth, which is 666 feet tall from the base to the tip, 555 feet from the ground to the tip, but it goes down 100 another 111 feet underground. So. You know, it's the largest phallus symbol on Earth, which is a gigantic. I mean, we're talking about like a uh, like a witchcraft, occult, evil source lightning rod that you've got there. So, if you were expecting any area to probably have a lot of activity, it would be this area. And so, um, yeah, that second I found, I mean, I got no sleep hardly at all. I gave. Greg, my tent, I slept in the back of my, my SUV, and I, oh, uh, it was horrible. <laughs> I was freezing. It was, it had to be in the 20s in my cab, and I couldn't get into my sleeping bag because, um, um, I had so much, so much clothes on, and I was so cramped, I couldn't stretch out. I really couldn't get down into the sleeping bag and zip it up. It was just no way. There was not enough room. So I basically slept without a sleeping bag in the back of my of the uh, suv and and oh wow that was the coldest night I ever spent and then by morning um they were breaking down camp and and uh i got i basically crawled out of there with like almost no sleep and had to make the six hour drive back um to uh to our area or whatever but i'm glad i am i'm very glad we did it everything you know worked out good and you never know from a spiritual standpoint with all the prayers that we were doing and all the prayers and fasting that were going up for us regarding the situation what was accomplished you really don't know you know it's one of those things you might not even have any idea of until like you get to heaven and then you can understand from a spiritual realm what actually was accomplished so that's about all i i really have to report back on on the trip no major disasters no major a lot of a lot of weird sounds though coming from the woods and that tree crash the first night was undeniable oh and then it was really weird the one other thing that did happen the first night 
when I, I don't know, I made it to like five o'clock and I'm like, I got to go to bed now. Sunrise was like six 30 or maybe it was four 30. And then I guess James went to bed like a, a half hour later. And then we were, so we were all asleep. So in the morning, evidently what sounded to be like somebody walked through the camp and it's, they thought it was a human, but you have to understand there was nobody staying around us at all. I mean, you couldn't even, that was going into Friday and Thursday night. There was hardly any people at all, even in the whole park. And they were like, somebody walked through the camp, both Greg and James heard it. They walked right by both tents and they, I think it both woke them up and they thought, it was the other person. They thought, oh, James thought it was Greg or maybe me. And Greg thought it was James or me, probably. And then, when, but when they had got up, they realized it wasn't. So I don't know what that was about. But it might have had something to do with us all being asleep at the same time. So anyway, praise the Lord. Um, we made it back in one piece. And um, uh, it was quite an experience and it was good to, it's good to test out like some of your preps, you know, your, your, you get out when you really get out and it's that cold. I mean, I know it could get a lot colder, but you really see like what it takes to actually live outdoors when it's really cold and, and you, you get, you quickly see that, man, I thought I had this base covered really, really good, and I really didn't have it covered as good as I thought I did. <laughs> so, I guess they've got like level four thermals now at Bass Pro Shop, which um, Greg was um, or James was talking about getting. Uh, it might not be a bad idea if you live in any kind of cold weather environment and the power ever goes off, or maybe God forbid you're out in the wilderness or whatever, having to survive. Man, I'm telling you, if you don't have enough cold weather clothing, it could kill you. Especially if you can't start a fire. You know, it could kill you. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> that was one of the biggest takeaways I got from the whole weekend. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it was it was heavy duty. But I'm really glad we got to experience that. Because, like I said, it's good to know. It's good to know about these different scenarios that you might uh, you might get put into. So anyway, that's all I have for today. Um, I'll go ahead and close us out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and this time you've given us. Lord, I thank you for letting this come together again, Lord, and um, to look at the subjects that we've looked at. I pray to God that we take away from these these teachings what we need to take away from, Lord God, that we would go forth and help other people, God, enlighten other people, ultimately use this type of information to lead people to the Lord. As they see the truth in one area, hopefully they'll see the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. I pray, God, that you forgive us for any and all sins that we've committed as we forgive those who have sinned against us and that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, and that you cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us, Lord. I pray to God you expose all these wicked, nefarious plans of the devil, God, that we've covered today, the pedophile networks, Lord God, the George Soros networks, the Illuminati, the, the, the George Bushes, the, the Clintons, Lord, the Obamas, all the wicked things that the Congress and the Senate and the governors in Hollywood are trying to do, God, I pray to God, all their wicked works and their deeds be exposed and that you stop them, Lord God, from implementing their wicked, evil plans. Uh, I, I just pray, God, you dispatch legions of angels toward this, God, that they, would, that they would intervene, God, regarding these matters, Lord, and that you would get the victory. 
We ask all these things, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.